continue our message on the Sermon on the Mount. And today it's going to be about prayer. And um, I'm trusting the Lord that this will be a convicting message for us, that it will be an encouraging message for us, and also that it will challenge us um, in our hearts concerning prayer. And I don't believe that this is a coincidence that we are ending the year, literally on the last day of the year, 2023, with this topic. I believe it is a God-ordained thing. Um, because prayer is important to his heart. Amen? Prayer is important to his heart. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to read a, a passage, the passage from Matthew and a corresponding verse from Luke, and then I'll talk about the direction the Lord led me to share with you on this topic. So starting in Matthew, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to read through 15. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then in Luke 11, verse 1 we see a verse that is corresponding. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, so that's Jesus, when he ceased praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also, also taught his disciples. And then Jesus goes on to give him the Lord's Prayer. Um, I want to pray one more time before we continue here. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we ask that it would penetrate our hearts today. Father, I ask you to guide me as I speak, and that every one of us, every person here, starting with me, would just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, we see Jesus teaching us how to pray. Don't be like the Pharisees and hypocrites and pray to be seen as someone special. Now, if you're an introvert, you don't really have a problem with that, right? So... Okay, do the opposite of the Pharisees and go pray in a secret place to your father who will then reward you openly. Uh, this does not mean that you have that to not have prayer meetings in public. The church met to pray all the time in the, in the New Testament. This, uh, this was an issue of genuineness of heart and motives. 
Pharisees and religious leaders prayed to be seen as someone special and to receive honor. Um, Jesus was saying, don't pray vain, repetitive prayers. How many of you have ever just don't know what to do, so you just say the, uh, the Lord's Prayer? Or, yeah, we, we, we all have that. We have our go-to prayers, which there's nothing wrong with go-to prayers. But he was saying, don't, prepare, don't pray vain, repetitive prayers, prayers that aren't heartfelt and that are prayed to simply say you prayed. Those are pointless and you see that in a lot of other religions. You see that even in Catholicism, where you're just praying repeated prayers to saints and it doesn't bear any real heart uh, and it's unscriptural to pray to saints. And so, but you see it in a lot of other religions. Even in Islam, you'll see a lot of people, they just, they're, they're devoted to prayer, but they're just praying these vain, repetitive prayers and they're praying to no one, um, to a false god. But you see it always happening. You see these vain, repetitive prayers. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus then teaches us what we've coined the Lord's Prayer. This also was not a prayer to be prayed necessarily repetitively, but a model of the type of prayer to pray. It's a very personal and relational prayer where you're praying to God who is near, not a God who is far away, to a heavenly Father who cares about you. We surrender to him and pray for his will to be done above ours because we trust him. We pray and ask for our needs because we know he cares for them and wants to provide for them. And we live in repentance to him, acknowledging our sins and asking for forgiveness, but on the condition that we also forgive those who, uh, forgive those, um, who have trespassed against us. And we ask the Lord for protection because we understand we are living in enemy territory. How many know that? We are in enemy territory. One of the quickest ways to fall in your faith is to forget that you have an enemy. If you were in the military and you were going to war and you're on the battlefield and you forget you have an enemy, you're going to get sniped, right? I've never used that word in a message before. (laughs) You're going to get sniped, okay? We can't forget we have an enemy. And so we go to God and we pray for his protection that he will deliver us from evil and he will keep us from temptation. And then at the end, Jesus again acknowledges his father and that we need to remember that he is an all-powerful creator and he, re- he deserves all the glory and praise and honor and that his kingdom will reign forever. So Pastor Jason preached on this passage of scripture, um, or on the Lord's Prayer, I should say, back in January 16th and the 23rd of 2022. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, go back uh, you can go on Spotify and just scroll down till you get all the way down to January 2020, 2022, and you can listen to it. He does a fantastic job on that, on teaching that. Um, but today, the Lord didn't really lead me in that direction to preach on how to pray. He led me more from Luke 11.1, 1, the corresponding verse. It says, now it came, I'll read it again. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. In this verse, we see a disciple asking Jesus how to pray because he desired to pray. Everyone say desire. He desired to pray. You don't ask someone how to do something unless you have a desire to also do it. So as I read this and started thinking about this message, 
um, I was stirred in my heart to preach on the desire to pray. The desire to pray. And why was I stirred? First one is the Holy Spirit has been stirring me personally to pray um, for a little while now. And I'll be honest, I, I do, I pray. But the type of prayer he's been stirring me to really go after is one that I've been slow to do. Um, and I really started to feel it back when, when we had the breakthrough weekend at Erie First. Do you guys remember that? It was a couple years ago. But we had um, some preliminary prayer group like meetings before with some of the different leaders of, of the breakthrough weekend. And I remember sitting in those and I was like, we need to do this more. Not just for breakthrough weekend, like we need to actually do this as a regular thing. But I didn't really know how to go about it. I told a few people, but they, it wasn't like, oh yeah, like there wasn't this energy to do it. And so I've, but, so, but the Lord has really been stirring me for this, this idea of we need to pray. There needs to be a desire to pray. Um, another reason I was stirred to preach this was because the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus is drawing near. And I won't stop saying it. Um, I know a lot of people I'll talk to and they'll say, yeah, but it's been like this for, for, for all of the year, for thousands of years. And it's like, no, it hasn't, guys. We are, we are far beyond the resurrection of Jesus. And we are 2,000 years closer to his return. And the things we see happening in the world are catastrophic type things. And my heart is stirred because we need to pray. There's nothing that man can do to fix the situations that we see happening on the earth. And there's nothing that man without God can do to fix the heart issues that are permeating people. The sin that is just wrecking people's lives. There's nothing we can do apart from God to fix it. And so we, we need to pray. We need to have a desire to pray. While we talk of how God is going to move and do great things, awakenings and revivals and whole cities turning to God, miracles, signs, and wonders, they only take place when prayer takes place. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, this is God speaking, if my people, so he's speaking directly to Israel, okay? if my people who are called by my name, which Israel was, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. In order for the revival and the miracles to take place, they had to humble themselves and pray and seek the Lord and turn, repent. There had to be a heart of prayer for repentance. And this is true for any believer, any person in any nation who will seek the Lord. God, had, we're going to read this verse later on, but he doesn't show favoritism. Any person that will seek his face, he will respond to. Um, every great revival throughout history has been preluded by a few people beginning to pray consistently for God to move and to save. I quickly just did a quick search online, like prayer and revival, and one of the first websites that came up was grandawakening.org. I had never seen it before. But I clicked on it, and there was an article on prayer. And you guys can go check it out. I haven't checked out the whole website, so don't you know, check it out. I, I can't guarantee that everything on there is wonderful. But 
what I read, I really enjoyed. And uh, from this article, I just want to read a little excerpt. So in this article about prayer and revival, a great awakening had happened in Scotland in the 1700s. And it was started by children. And listen to what I read in this article. It said, during the great awakening in Scotland, prayer meetings often began with children, then spread to adults. For example, a school teacher in the parish of Balderknock allowed four students to meet on their own for prayer and psalm singing. According to the parish of Balderknock, or the word, okay, Balderknock, in the course of two weeks, 10 or 12 more children were awakened and under deep convictions. Some of these were not more than eight or nine years of age, and others 12 or 13. And so much were they engrossed with the one thing needful as to meet three, uh, three times a, a day, the morning, at midday, and at night. Adults then began holding prayer meetings two or more times a week. There were many conversions at both the adult and the children's meetings. Isn't that amazing? Some kids who were touched by the Holy Spirit to pray began to pray and started a revival in Scotland. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from London in the, in the mid-1800s, he said, We shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. So my heart is stirred to pray, or for the desire to pray, to talk about this. And the other reason is because I believe most followers, followers of Jesus, at least in the U.S., don't have a strong desire to pray. They don't. For instance, when I say, friends, we're going to have a church lunch with all the fixings. And to follow that, there's going to be games and prizes. And they're going to be big prizes. It's going to cost you nothing other than to play. How many would be like, yeah, I'm there. I'm there, right? But if I said, friends, we're going to have a two-hour prayer meeting. How does that make you feel compared to that other one? Right? Not the same, right? We don't feel the same. Why? Because prayer isn't something that oftentimes screams excitement or, quote-unquote, worth it to us. And that's not the only sign. <clears throat> Let me ask, how much time do we give? Rhetorical question. How much time... Do you and myself okay, give to prayer versus phones and entertainment and our jobs, our work, our, our busyness of life? My own desire to pray has needed a lot of work, me personally. As I said, the Lord had been stirring me for a couple years now, and I really, I, I, I just, what do I do? What do I do? I haven't gone after that one thing the Lord spoke to me. Christians at large are dealing with the same levels of fear, stress, and anxiety as the world without Jesus. That's a sign that our desire to pray is not there because if we had spent time in prayer and get into God's presence like we did this morning, instantly that peace comes, doesn't it? The anxiety goes away in God's presence. <clears throat> and so that is a sign. The amounts of unified corporate prayer happening within our church and other churches outside of Sunday morning has diminished as a whole. I remember growing up, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and it was like clockwork. 
and my family, we loved it. Like, it was just a part of us, and we spent much time um, in the presence of God and with other believers. But now it's down to one time a week, right? We have Sunday morning. A lot of churches just meet Sunday morning or maybe a Saturday. There's nothing else going on. Maybe a midweek service dedicated for youth or something like that. But in general, it's decreased. Even in, uh, and even in our church, we have, we have a prayer meeting, a prayer and worship night on Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of the month. We've been doing it for a few years now, but it really hasn't grown. And oftentimes, I am part of the prayer meeting, and I'm like, do I have to go? Sometimes I'm like, do I have to go? Yeah, you do, because I'm playing guitar. <laughs> I have to check my heart. But why, haven't we, why hasn't it grown to be every Wednesday? Why hasn't it grown to have more people than 12? Because it, the desire that we have to pray needs to be nurtured. We need to have a desire to pray. For the church as a whole, the desire to pray doesn't come alive until something, some type of shaking happens, personally, nationally, or globally, or unless we're living in a nation that persecutes Christians. Right? How many of you remember 9-11? Who was alive for 9-11? Who was not alive for 9-11? Oh, okay. 9-11, I remember the day that it happened. I remember where I was at, who I was working for. Actually, I was working for the Luciano Builders, and I was in the basement uh, over here, one of the houses we were doing, and I was working on gas line. And um, I remember hearing about the towers falling. But if you, re- if you were around during that time, you remember what happened. I mean, terror gripped the nation, and churches actually filled up real fast. There was a lot, like churches were having services. This place, even this, this church was packed with people, uh, who did not serve God. They were just coming to churches because they didn't know what was happening. But after things normalized, the desire to pray went back down. Right? Think of, now think about COVID. The, actually, the opposite happened. Churches closed down everywhere. The first thing that didn't happen was the church crying out to God in corporate prayer to intercede for God's mercy in that crazy time of sickness and confusion. And a lot of churches closed for good after COVID. And many Christians stopped going to church and still don't go to church even after a few years now. So the the desire to pray just isn't thriving and robust in the large majority of us as followers of Jesus. And what's interesting is that as followers of Jesus, we know we're supposed to pray, right? We see it in scripture, all the miracles that happen, all the stuff that God does, it's all preluded with prayer. So I'm very personally stirred in my heart by the Lord about this desire to pray because if we know prayer is important, why aren't we praying more? Why don't we desire it? Why don't we turn to prayer first? And why don't we make time in our lives to pray and intercede? Well, there's a number of reasons. One, we may not know God personally. Okay, That's a very simple one. If you don't know God, you might not have a desire to pray at all. Two, we may not understand or be fully convinced of what, God, of what prayer is and what it does. That prayer is a powerful weapon and can change situations. How many remember the story of Joshua in Joshua 10 where he prays and he prays that the sun would stand still and it does for a day? How many... Think about that. Joshua, they were in a war, 
and he needed more daylight. And so he prayed and asked God to give them more daylight, and the sun stopped moving. Literally, God stopped all of creation from this, the earth moving around the sun. He stopped it. That is, that is what prayer can do. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. Well, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years until he prayed again for it to rain. There's more to that story. But he also prayed and called down fire from heaven. Elisha, who took over from Elijah, he raised someone from the dead. Daniel, who remembers the story of the lion, uh, Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel was a man who prayed, and he, uh, he well, he had the, the miracle of the, the lion's den. He was saved from that. But God gave him countless visions and dreams and saved many people through him because he was a man of prayer. Prayer is powerful weapon. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to obedience. Prayer is communion, communing with God and is nourishment for our hearts and our souls. Another reason that we may not have a desire to pray is we may not see our need for God. It's easy to stop nurturing our relationship with God when everything is going well, right? If it's going good, you kind of forget God. I have. Anybody else with me? Yeah? Okay. And God simply becomes not important to us at times. We make times for the, time for the thing that's important to us, even when we're busy. Another reason is we may overload our lives with distractions and busyness. We get overly distracted with life and the cares of this world, we live lives with no margin, where we are so busy we can't make time for anything else. This kind of thing destroys our desire to pray. But the main reason that I really want to focus on is that we may doubt God's love for us. We may doubt God's love for us. We may not believe that God actually listens. We may not believe that God is a good father who cares for us and, has, and cares for us as his beloved children and that he wants to answer We're afraid God won't answer because he either doesn't care, is angry at us, or because of past sins or even current sins. And at some point, point we experience what seems like unanswered prayer. How many of you have had unanswered prayer, or at least you think? Anybody? Yeah, everyone else can raise their hands. We experience unmet expectations for our life and how we thought it should happen, and we hate waiting and being patient. How many of you like waiting? None of us do, especially in our, in our world now with all of our technology. None of us do. And it leads us to a place where we lose hope and trust in God. So how do we increase our desire to pray? Today, the Lord wants to address this with us, the point that we may doubt him in his love for us, that we don't believe that he hears us or that he cares or that he wants to answer And he wants to encourage us today. He wants to encourage our hearts because when our hearts are encouraged and our faith is built up, it increases our desire to pray. It moves us from living in the flesh to living in the spirit. And so as I began preparing for this as well, the story, there's a lot of prayer stories in the Bible. And the one that came to my mind and I could not shake and I was like, do I really want to do this one? Do you want me to do this one, Father? And it was like, yes. 
It's the story of Hannah. How many have heard the story of Hannah and Samuel? Yes? Okay, I'm going to read this passage. 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 28. And then I'm going to read 1 Samuel 2, 18 through 21 and finish off the story. And then I'm going to just make some points from it. And then we're going to get uh, to a place of um, being challenged today. I have a lot more notes than I probably can get through today, so I'm doing my best here. (laughs) All right, so the story goes like this. 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim. I'm going to say these names. I'm going to do my best. So, Of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her, and her rival also provoked her, provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued, praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have the abundance of my complaint. <clears throat> but have, I'm sorry, nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel, Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she had... For she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him. 
that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then she slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli and said, and she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. 1 Samuel 2, 18-21. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his, father, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, child... Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. That is an amazing story. If you don't know who Samuel is, Samuel is one of the greatest prophets to ever live uh, in the Old Testament. So Hannah is married. She has a strong desire to have a child, but she can't. It stated twice that God had closed her womb. Hannah was in deep distress over it, not only because the desire of her heart was not being met, but because she was a second wife to her husband, and the first wife taunted and provoked her. Can you imagine living in that situation? And this clearly affected her personal identity as a woman. Though her husband cared for her and was not deterred in loving her while she couldn't bear him a child, she was not consoled. So what did Hannah do? For many Christians, this is where we leave God by the wayside. This is where many will turn away from him and completely begin following him half-heartedly. And this is where our desire to pray begins to wane and to stop. But not Hannah. She believed God would hear her and that God was good and cared about her. And in her grief and bitterness of soul and in her anguish, she cried out all the more earnestly to God and, to, and made him a vow. And this vow is vitally important. <clears throat> her vow, again, she would give, if God would give her a son, she would give son back to him. <clears throat> in this vow, we see something stunningly beautiful. It's the moment when we see why God had closed her womb and the place he was diligently working to lead her. The place where she would not only be honest with him in her emotional distress, but where she would surrender her desire to him for him. This is her Garden of Gethsemane moment when she said, not my will, but yours be done. Her desire to have a son was tantamount to her identity. It had become an idol for her. But in this prayer and in this vow, she surrendered it to God. And notice that this prayer had nothing to do with whether she would follow God still. It had nothing to do with her obedience to God and following him. It had everything to do with surrendering her desire for him and being okay with whichever decision he made. And then we see the miracle. God answers her prayer with a son. Not only that, he gives her five more children. <clears throat> and she keeps her vow to, to God, and she gives Samuel to, to Eli to be raised for the priesthood. 
So today, God wants you to know something from this story. Again, Acts 10.34, I perceive that God shows no partiality, Peter said. God does not show partiality. If he will do it for the kids that prayed in Scotland, if he would do it for Hannah when she poured out his heart, her heart to him, he will answer your prayers too. Okay. He, how do you, oh, sir, number three, today God wants you to know, okay, God wants you to know this. He hears and listens to you. Just like he heard Hannah's prayer, he hears you. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hannah sought the Lord with all her heart and poured out everything before him. And he answered, he heard her. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But his eyes are on you. If you follow Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. That means you have right standing with him. That means when you pray, he hears you. He hears you. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Number two, God cares about you. Just as he cared for Hannah's heart, he cares for yours. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He cares about you. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Everybody say, God cares for me. He cares for me. Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. In him. And he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God cares for you. He cares about your heart and your desires. And he cares about your very being. He wants you to become everything he created you to be. He knows how to perfect us and how to get us to where we're supposed to be. And like any good parent would take the time to, pre to prepare and teach and test their children as they raise them in order that they might become all that God has for them, how much more our Heavenly Father for us who created us. So I want to encourage us not to be hard-hearted in our prayer, in, in, in His process and in His correction as He leads us. He knows what He's doing, just like He knew what He was doing and was going to do for Hannah. <clears throat> Let us not be as those who give God ultimatums as though we can manipulate him and get what we want. James 4, 1 through 3 says, where do, fights and, where do wars and fights come from, sorry, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Let us not grow weary in prayer and in waiting on the Lord to provide for us and thinking he's not going to answer because he will. And let us also check our hearts to make sure that when we pray, we are not asking amiss. He wants the absolute best for us. Number three, he answers and wants to. God wants to encourage you that he answers and wants to. 
Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 16, 23-24. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He wants to answer us that our joy may be full. God holds all power. He knows everything. He owns everything. And he's on his throne waiting for us to come as his kids and seek him and knock on his throne room door and open it and ask him. To supplicate, that means to, to, to humbly request something before him. Imagine having owning everything and your kids, they come to you. How much would you not want to pour on them when they live a life of love towards you? You want to bestow everything upon them. God is waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to pray. So we must trust God that he knows what's best for us. We must also believe that God's best for us is infinitely better than the best we have in mind for ourselves and that his plans are better than we can plan for ourselves. So as we wrap up here, I want to offer us a personal challenge and then I'm going to do what I call a beckoning call and a corporate prayer challenge. Okay? I want to challenge all of us to dive into, your, into our prayer lives, each of us individually, with the Lord and evaluate your desire to pray. Do you have a desire to pray? Is it strong or weak? Are you like Hannah or have you quit in prayer? Is your heart's desires taking the place of Jesus in your life? Evaluate your heart concerning the things that we talked about, why we have limited desires to pray and seek the Lord. Ask yourself, do you believe that God loves you, that he hears you, that he cares about you, that he wants to answer? Is your life too busy and you need to stop and slow down? Take time to repent and seek the Lord, crying unto him like Hannah and trusting him with your life again. Grace, I can have you come back. Thank you. miracles happen when we pray. And 100% of prayers that you don't pray will not be answered. 100% of the prayers we don't pray will not be answered. The beckoning call. We are living in days where we really need to pray. We need to take this to heart. Every year brings a new set of national and global shakings. I'm looking forward to 2024, but when I get into a new year, I always know something's going to shake the world. God's on the move doing something. All right, we're getting closer to Jesus returning, so something is going to happen. In our nation this year, we have an election coming up. The last two elections, our nation went through like a fiasco, right? It was crazy. Now we got another election coming up. It's not going to be any less crazy. We need to pray. Okay? Israel's war is still going. 
What happened to them was a prelude to the even worse things that will happen to them before Jesus returns as he's working to turn their hearts back to him. So we must pray for them. There's also genocides happening all over North Africa and Sudan where hundreds of thousands of people are being killed way beyond anything that's happening in Israel or in Gaza. And nobody's talking about it on the news because it doesn't involve Israel. But we need to pray. Not to mention, we need to pray for the persecuted brothers and sisters that I oftentimes forget about in my everyday life. We need to pray for our own city, our own churches, for our families. Every one of us has needs. Every one of us has desires. Every one of us is seeking God for miracles of some sort or miracles for others. And we need to pray. If we don't pray now, then when will we? If we don't start now, then when will we start? What's stopping us? I want to be like those kids in the 1700s that prayed and started a revival in Scotland. What could God do here? Listen to what God said about his own city, Jerusalem, in Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. He says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Sounds like our culture. So I ought... So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. In this passage, God is saying one person could have saved the entire city of Jerusalem from going into exile. One man standing in the gap, or woman, or little child. So the corporate prayer challenge. I want to offer a corporate prayer challenge to us. As we mentioned, we're starting the 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know, we have these uh, prayer guides in the back. I want to challenge us, every one of us, to really begin to pray every day. You can set aside, I don't, I'm not going to say what, how much time you need to set aside. Just set aside, set aside time to pray every single day. <clears throat> if you want to fast, we talked about fasting, and I think we're going to talk about fasting next week or the week after. If you want to fast, great. But if you don't normally fast, and you don't normally pray, your desire to pray is not there. I would encourage you to really focus on the prayer part and add the fasting in as you go. Fasting is not fasting is really a byproduct of a prayer life. When you have a desire to pray, all of a sudden that desire to fast will also increase because you want to go deeper. But if you don't have a desire to pray or it's waning, I want to encourage you, don't really focus on the fasting right now. Focus on the prayer and then add it in maybe over the next few weeks. We are going to have a prayer and worship service, like we said, for the next three Wednesdays. I want to encourage everybody to come, 6.30 to 7.30, if you are able. There's always reasons why you're not able to, and that's totally fine. Um, But if you are able to, all right, come out. If you've never been to one, come to just one. Give it a try. Utilize the prayer guides. You can also come to church early. 
We have Janet, Teresa, and Tammy. They come here early every Sunday, and they pray for all of you. Early, over here in the back. And I'm so thankful for their prayers. But you can all, we can all come early and take a little bit of time to pray before church starts. I want to challenge small groups to take extra times of prayer in your group to pray together. I want to encourage people to find some books or devotionals for prayer and to begin to pray. I brought a few that I have, been, I have used. The Art of Prayer by Kenneth Hagin. This is a fantastic book that teaches you about prayer, how to pray, and its power. The Art of Prayer by Kenneth Hagin. How many have ever read The Circle Maker? This book is an amazing book on prayer, and it comes with a 40-day prayer challenge book, which I am going through, and it is wonderful. But find something and learn about prayer. Seek the Lord. My hope is that prayer, that these 21 days of prayer become 365 days of prayer for us. The January, honestly, I actually really don't like doing the, I want to be honest, completely honest. I don't like doing the begin the year with prayer and fasting because it's become something that I don't think it's supposed to be. It's like the annual event, you know, and you go through the whole year and you get to the end and like, it's always like, oh, I got to boot myself up to go into prayer and fasting when it's not supposed to be like that. I want to get to a place where January is no longer looked as the month that we do 21 days of prayer and fasting because we always are seeking the Lord and prayer is a regular part of our lives in our church. That we'd have multiple prayer gatherings happening weekly. That this church would be known as the church that prays and God answers. Out there on the floor we have our globe and it has, if you've been out there, you see the globe in the foyer on the floor. It says Isaiah 56-7. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I don't want that globe that was placed there all those years years ago by Pastor Jim and Pastor Pam to be put there in vain. I want this place to be a place of prayer for all nations. And guys, guess what? Erie actually has a lot of nations in it. We've had a lot, a lot, a lot of... of People from other countries, foreigners coming in, refugees, all different nations here. They could be here. But it's going to take prayer. How many of you will join me in that? How many of you want to see that? I want to see that. I want to challenge you personally and as a corporate church. Let's do whatever it takes. Because if some children in the 1700s, again, can start a revival. Why can't we? Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your convicting power. We thank you for your word that penetrates our hearts. Father, I ask you to forgive me for not praying the way you have asked me to and stirred my heart to. I ask you to forgive us for not praying the way you've called us to and asked us to. Father, we set our hearts today to pray. We set our hearts today to seek your face. We set our hearts today to stand in the gap 
for our own lives, for our own families, for our own friends, for our church, for this city and for this country and for this world and for Israel. Father, we set our hearts to seek your face and to follow you and to pray and to know you. When we pray, Father, we know that you hear us. We know that you care and we know that you answer and you have a perfect plan. And we trust you, Father. We trust you today. Stir our hearts. Lead us and guide us as we enter January in this 2024 year. And Lord, let us not be caught off guard by anything that happens in 2024, but let us all be ready and prepared, flowing with your Holy Spirit, walking in peace when there is no peace around us, walking in blessing and distributing to others when we see those around us struggling. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, Jesus loves you. He wants to be close to you. He died for your sins. He cares about your life. And he wants you to know him personally. If you don't know him, I want to encourage you to come see me up front here after after we're done. For those of us here, if you have prayer needs, uh, we will have some prayer Uh, partners up here to pray with you, feel free to come up front and pray. Yes, let us all be encouraged today to pray, to seek his face. We give you all the praise and glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you guys ready? We're going to do it. We're going to pray. And um, we will be back here next week. I think Pastor Jason told me his heart. He said, my heart is stirred for prayer. And he said, I'm going to be preaching on prayer again next week. So just get ready because we're going to go after this thing. All right. All right, guys. Love you. Thanks for listening to